0: Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to
1: talk about comics. Hello and welcome to Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. That com- that's comic books, everybody. Sorry, I got excited. Uh, this is the podcast where two brothers talk to each other about comic books. Something that's never happened before in human history. I'm one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm
0: the other of the two brothers. My name is Kevin Hines.
1: And uh, we're super funny. We like teach improv and stuff, which means we're funny. And we love comic books. And uh, on this podcast, we talk about comics that either we loved as kids together or maybe as adults together. And frankly, as time has gone on, just about any comics that we feel like. And um, Kevin,
0: do you agree with that assessment? I agree with that. The, this little mini season we're in right now here in December of 2020 doesn't quite fit that category. Uh, we had three weeks to fill and so I just picked three comics for us to review that I've read and loved that Will has never read before. Yeah. And I like. So you have no opinion on these. And if you ha- if you share an opinion during this podcast, I expect our editor, you, to, to remove it.
1: Yeah. I'm not allowed to express an opinion. The only opinions that anybody is allowed to express are ones that have been long held. We don't want mm-hmm. any just quick from the hip reactions.
0: That's right. Give it a few. Mu- I mean, give it. Think about it every day okay. for a few years. Two years, if you never change your mind, that's an opinion I care about. If you've changed your mind, then you got to sit on it longer. All right, I have opinions about
1: what you're saying right now. I can't wait to tell you in a couple of years what I think about it.
0: I look forward to hearing it because I'm sure you won't change your mind.
1: Uh, I love this you're little stubborn. Yeah, I love this little <laughs> series that we're doing because I think Kevin has good taste in comics. So I'm excited to be quote unquote forced to read something yeah. that uh, Kevin's picking.
0: Uh, Last episode we covered Immortal Hulk issue five. Yep, uh, from Marvel Comics. Next week we're covering Black Hammer issue two. Okay. um, Which like there's been there's that can be confusing. There's also a second series of Black Hammer called like Age of. uh, Let me look it up. But we're not doing this one, so I don't know why I'm. You're you're doing the the first series issue two. There's also a yeah Black Hammer Age of Doom. We're not doing that series. We're doing the previous series issue two. Okay. That's next week, though. Okay. This week we're doing a comic uh, that's less popular, I think, than either of those. I think it's really great. Uh, I don't really know how it's selling. Um, It's only just started. It's called Bang. Uh,
1: I love it. I really get excited when Kevin points me to, I don't know what the right word is, like indie comics or just like ones that, you know, Immortal Hulk, right? Hulk is like a huge mainstream property and the Immortal Hulk incarnation of of it is also popular and well-regarded. Uh doesn't make it any less good, of course, but mm-hmm. I think it's kind of fun to know that we're we're reading something that's a little bit off the beaten path, at least.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is being put out by Dark Horse Comics, which is probably the number four publisher, or it's up in that yeah. top five for sure. Uh, they're the guys who put out Hellboy, yeah, which is huge. Right, so, so they're not uh, – in, it's indie, indie only when it's – meaning it's not Marvel or DC or Image.
1: Yeah. Right. So – Right. Dark Horse is still big, of course. And I, you know, but that's why indie isn't quite the right word, but yeah, it's just not the household word that like Spider-Man is, or, you know, a lot of the things we have covered, even Justice League
0: International. And this isn't isn't even a superhero book. Um, so, so so like, you know, in the one we cover next week, which is also by Dark Horse, is a superhero book. And that gives it like a little, even though I think there are a lot more non-superhero books being sold now. Um, superhero books still I feel like are, are a step ahead in, in the marketplace in general of the con uh, not always of the comics that Walking you dead. read how many are superhero but bo- like what percentage
1: is superhero and what percentage is not
0: 99 I don't know I don't know <laughs> what percentage um probably uh I would guess 75 percent, just because there's so many yeah of them I I'm reading less Marvel and DC I feel like they're both universes right now uh I've lost some of my interest, and I'm sure that ebbs and flows as time goes on. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of reading less of that than normal. Um, so it might be less than that, but but if I had to guess on average over the course of a year, I probably read three quarters of superhero stuff, okay. And the rest of it is just Brew Baker's Criminal. <laughs> How many comics do you read every week? Um, I probably read at least twenty comics a week. So that's a lot. Yeah you I would say I you're a voracious
1: reader in general.
0: I read a lot of comic books. Uh, they're also, I like comic books because they're quick. I can read them like, uh, at night before, like after I finish watching TV, I'll read a comic before I go to sleep or, uh, while my son is, um, watching his, watching a show at night and he insists I sit next to him. Maybe I'll read a comic then next to him. Um, yeah. I'll read one on the can, so I'll sneak mm-hmm. them in. I used to, on Wednesday, just sit down and just sit and read through a stack, and now it takes me a few days to get through a week's the weekly comics, and then I'm also, like, rereading stuff. I'm, like, rereading old Spider-Man comics right now. Yeah. I was trying to reread New Titans, or read for the first time the old New Titans comic, but I just haven't been able to keep up with it. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I try to read a lot of comics, um, but then... I try to read like a book at night when I'm going to sleep instead of comic books. I'm a slow reader when it comes to actual non-comic book books. Because I
1: remember when you were, maybe this is wrong. Maybe this is one of those things that I'm remembering it, not how it was. But I remember when you were a kid, you had four heads, you were covered in Mm -hmm. green scales, you breathed fire, and you read a lot of books. Is any of that right?
0: I mean, I don't remember what I look like. Okay. So that all might be true. The first part. Yeah. Um, I read a lot of books, especially during summers. I feel like I didn't read as much during the school year. Like when I had homework and assigned books, I kind of just stopped reading and didn't read even my assigned (laughs) books that much. Just out of protest. You refused to read anything. I would just put it off and then it'd be like, well, now I don't have time. Yeah. Uh, So I didn't read a ton of the books I was supposed to. Um, and I didn't, I didn't read as much. But yeah, like kind of once school ended till school started up again, I didn't have a ton of friends. Uh, that's the word, right? You
1: mean like the other human beings that you form a relationship with and socialize with?
0: Yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, friends. Uh, I mean, I had some, but I didn't like hang out with people all the time. I didn't go to camp. So I would basically just sit on the couch in our living room and read books. Yeah. And I would read like 15, 20 books over a summer and that would like cover me for the year. <laughs>
1: I just remember you had a lot. You remember you got really into Piers Anthony for a while. You read a lot of Piers yeah. Anthony sci-fi
0: books. I read like everything he did, up to a point.
1: And um, and then you know, and and in the years since, I know that there's certain like you'll you'll read some
0: hefty tomes, like you read the Wheel of Time yes.
1: series.
0: Yeah, and Brandon yeah. Sorenson. Now when a, I read books, now when I read books, they're they're either giant epic fantasies or short crime fiction. I try to alternate them just to give myself room to breathe. Um, the crime fiction is nice cause I can read those quick yeah. and right now I'm reading a thousand page book and it's like, ugh, I, I read, you know, I'm, I, I read and read, and read and it's like, I read 1% <laughs> whatever this book. Yeah. So it's slow.
1: And then don't you sometimes also dabble into just classic pulp? Occasionally you've like read like Conan the Barbarian or John Carter yeah. Mars or like,
0: um, pre child. I was in a burst of like wanting to read a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, now I, I just have less time to read than I used to. So I don't read that stuff as much though. I read, I like try to read the first book in a lot of pulp series. I tried to read like the first Tarzan uh, or something. First Tarzan, the first John Carter of Mars, the first, uh, I tried to find the first, um, uh, Doc Brown, bronze. No, that's the Warren Ellis version. <laughs> that's his name. Uh, whatever the, the, the metal skinned. A Pulp Hero. Gosh, Um, I don't know it. uh, You would, the moment I say it, you would recognize exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I I tried to read, I couldn't find the first one of that, so I read just an old one. Uh, Sometimes they're bad. I read like a volume of Lovecraft and a volume of Conan stories that were collected. Uh, John Henry Irons? No, no, no. I'm just, I just, I, the
1: Bulleteer, I'm just a metal skin. Doc Savage. Oh, Okay. Oh, you know uh, you know who Doc Savage is right yes I weirdly get him mixed up with Doc Samson the Hulk character just because I've read actual things with Doc Samson in it
0: for some reason Doc Brown bronze which I believe was like from planetary the planetary version of Doc Savage planetary the, 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 the comic sticks book sticks series by uh Warren Ellis yeah that did homages
1: to lots of different superhero and literature things Doc Savage oh yes yes that Kevin is showing me a uh a cover of one of the magazines or whatever it is. And yes, it does look familiar.
0: Yeah. Like when I think of, uh, Doc Savage, that's who I think of when I think of like pulp adventure stories,
1: like an Alan quarter type sort of thing.
0: Yeah. The shadow and, um, Phantom, the Phantom, I guess, which is more of a comic strip, but yeah, it feels like he is the prototypical version of that. But also like I read one volume, so I can't really speak to it. I didn't like it. Um, of Doc Savage. Yeah.
1: Well, some of the stuff ages weirdly and, you know, you're, yeah. not, you're not reading it in the air. We should do.
0: I like we, the racist, I like the racist that stuff. That stuff you like, yeah. The problematic <laughs> the
1: problematic uh, political views are interesting to you. Um, I think um, we should do an episode on the old pulp stuff. I think that'd be kind of fun. I, I personally would like a little bit of the Kevin Hines education on it. And, it, you know, it seems to feed right into comic books. I feel like the original comic book creators either were the people who wrote those stories or were wishing they were. Certainly Stan Lee was inspired by a lot of them.
0: Sure. Uh, I mean, Edgar Rice Burles is basically doing superhero books in a way. Tarzan yeah. and John Carter feel like superheroes. They feel like Adam Strange and uh, Aquaman to some extent. Yeah, That could be fun.
1: Anyway, I, I'm putting it out there, Universe. My brother should be the editor of a comic book line. He is, I think, the most qualified man on the planet Earth. Hmm. Uh in terms of having never
0: edited anything or published anything from when he
1: walked into outer limits comics as a um probably an 8 year old uh has never stopped reading comics ed- any you know has never st- has never broken from reading comics has read almost everything and has read even actual real books that influenced comics <laughs> so
0: wow i didn't know that was a ca- uh not many, a not lot not of many editors, have. A lot of editors are like, oh, we have to read books, too.
1: <laughs> so anyway, that's my pitch. That's this, this podcast will be a success if Kevin is in charge of Marvel Comics. <laughs> that's the, uh, that one? The number one uh,
0: most successful comic book and universe? And the
1: movies.
0: <laughs> I would ruin Marvel so fast if I had, like, complete control. I mean, anybody would, I think, if they had complete control. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would do is no more, no more, uh, shared universe. <laughs> that would be, that's a bad idea. I know that's be, a bad it idea. It would destroy it. It would destroy it. I would like it so much. Yeah. I would have like an Avengers book. But you could, you could. would be in a shared universe there, but there'd also be like a Captain America book where it was just, I think I get why DC books had all those multiple Earths. But it's like, I sort of want in my Captain America books, I don't want them to call up Iron Man and have Iron Man come help. Yeah. Uh, even the Avengers. Great. They should help each other. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I, th- I think uh, you'll figure it out. You'll 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 make it work when you when this job happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, so should we talk about Bang too?
0: Yeah, let's talk talk about it. Um, this is written by Matt Kint, mm-hmm. uh, who is a comic book writer and artist who I love. Yes, uh, I discovered him when he was doing Mind Mgmt, Mind Management. Yes, how I always say yep. it. I don't actually know if you're supposed to pronounce it that way, which is like a weird psychic spy core of people who were trained to be psychics that had been like shut down. It was like sort of a weird trippy uh, book um, that he did. I think that might have also been Dark Horse. Um, And I loved it. And then I sort of sought out everything he had drawn and written. And then he started writing a lot of stuff that he wasn't drawing. And I've read most of that. Uh, Though I've missed a few things. And it's not all great, Uh, though I think most of it is. I think most of it is really good. I have read uh, this Mind
1: is, MGMT, your recommendation, yes. and I have read Red Handed, mm-hmm. which is the sort of just a self-contained story, I think, that he did, The graphic
0: novel yeah. length story. Yeah, that's I, I recommend that to people just because it is one story versus like things like Mind Management is great, but it's like six volumes or something. Yeah. So it's just a lot to say, hey, you should read this. Yeah. It's really good if you read it all. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough ask. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing about Bang is it's just started. I think issue four just came out uh, pretty recently. So it's, it's very new. Um, but yeah, he's writing it and it's re- it's drawn by Wilfredo Torres. Okay. Who has a really nice style. Uh, I, I feel like I've seen his stuff in a few other things, but not a lot. This is the main place I've seen him and I really like it. Uh, and we are covering issue two. Issue one doesn't really affect this issue too much. No. Uh, issue one is sort of about of a, a James Bond archetype. Before we get into Bang, yeah, I think you
1: should say, or I, you you tell me if this is right because I have read far less of this author than you. Although I've now read three things: Bang ish, Bang issues one and two, Mind MGMT, and Red Handed. But he seems to deal a lot with kind of like you start reading his story, and there's like a genre happening, but then part of the story is going to be like meta or some kind of overarching thing is going to be revealed. Like you're reading what ends up when you're done being a little chapter of a puzzle. Uh, like there's, there's a zooming out feeling when I read his stuff.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's always meta per se, but yes, uh, there definitely is tend to be layers and he definitely is somebody who likes to use the comic book medium, so like his books will often have like schematics in them and things like that. The comics are good like at showing. He, yeah, he did a comic book called Black Badge, which is about like a secret organization of, I guess, the Boy Scouts that had, would that would do like for real missions in other countries, sort of a, a a wet works team. Wow! But they were Boy Scouts, right? It was just like there. Once you reach the ultimate level of Boy Scouts, you become this wet work team called Black Badge or something. Can is it is, is it like? Go ahead. They would have like gadgets and stuff would be like, oh, kerchief also used for choking. And it would have like a chart about what each thing on their uniform could be used for. And be like, that's just like something you can't do as easily in movies or television or books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he does that stuff. He likes doing at least that level of comic booky stuff. Is
1: it possible for you to say what draws you to his stuff? Like if I had a brand new book from him, I said, Kevin, you didn't even know about it. Here's a brand new Matt Kint book. What are you like? Oh, this is going to be good. What do you What do you think it's going to be?
0: I don't. Uh, I mean, it, he he gravitates to spy stuff. Mm-hmm. It's generally like um, spies, secret agents, detectives, that sort of stuff. So that'd be my guess is what it is. It's not only what he has done. Um, so that'd be if I had to guess what kind of book it was going to be, it'd probably be that. Part of it is just that uh, he's not, he's dealing with genres that not a lot of comic books deal with. Mm. So that's fun always just to read, like yeah. a well a well done comic book in a genre that's not superheroes or, um, like I've read a lot of crime fiction now. So just because of Rue Baker, there's a little mini Renaissance of that. There's still not much, yeah. but he doesn't even hit on that. He's not doing like a zombie book, which is like walking dead sort of has done perfectly. Yeah. So he's doing sort of these untapped ones. He also just does them well, like this sort of feeling of, uh, uh, i don't know who to trust or what's really going on or or who to believe, like that sort of um mission impossible like at any moment someone could take off a mask and be somebody else, yeah, and it feels earned uh and this is true in his books um so there there's that sort of like uh i don't understand this story, and I might not until it 's over, and even when it's over, there'll be like little inklings of doubt,
1: yeah. Like, did I really like, get what happened there? Was there some piece of this puzzle I didn't quite grasp? It, it feels like every one of his comic books ends with a question mark, you know? I feel like it's not quite a twist ending, but like, read, I, I totally spoiler free, partly because I can't totally remember it, but I remember the feeling of reading Red Handed, which is like a detective story, and there is a sort of like super detective solving a bunch of crimes. Mm-hmm. So part of the fun is each of the crimes is interesting. The way they get solved is interesting, but then you realize there is a story about the super detective that is, he's been like laying the groundwork for, and then there's like this satisfying moment when those things all tie together. I feel like that's really, that's a move he does.
0: Yeah. I mean, even when he did superhero stuff, he did a lot of superhero stuff for Valiant Comics. He did uh Exo Manowar and Ninjack mm-hmm. and whatever their their super their Justice League team was called, I forget what that team is called. He did that book for a while. The super dudes. But when he does uh not the superheroes. <laughs> not the super dudes. Not the super dudes. Uh, yeah. But when he does those books, like they're just they're just like, you know, one step removed from what you would what what would be a normal version of that character. So his Ninjax steered deep into the spy stuff. His Exo war was like completely on another planet, never came to Earth. Um, his superhero team was sort of like like more about the Shield Agency that ran them, that was manipulating them into doing what they needed them to do, yeah. Uh, than just like going out and fighting the good fight. Okay, and he did like one about a called Divinity about a Russian cosmonaut that traveled to the ends of the universe and was changed and they came back as some sort of like Dr. Manhattan, like level Uber character. Wow. And that was like really cool too. But it's like, that isn't normal superhero stuff in the same way that like Alan Moore superhero stuff stopped being just good superhero stuff. It just became sort of like explorations of ideas using superheroes. Right. His stuff does that too. All
1: right. Now I feel we're set up to do, talk about bang.
0: Great. Um, So yeah, so issue one was, ostensibly following a James Bond archetype.
1: Yeah. Thomas
0: Uh, court. Yeah. And not really critical to the story. These first three or four issues sort of all follow the same same framework. So we'll just read that. We'll just go over this issue. We'll kind of talk about what that framework is. Okay. Um, And this character sort of follows a guy who is, I would say two parts, John McClane, one part, like our man, this issue that uh, we're going to do. Yes. He's, he's a barefoot ex cop, divorced ex cop, but which, he also has like these things that augment his abilities. So the
1: bare, barefoot ex cop, that's obviously very diehard. Yes. And then he's, and
0: he looks a little like Bruce Willis. Yeah.
1: He's got like the white t-shirt tank top going in part of it Some and slight receding hairline. Yeah. And then he has got these little vials that give him temporary powers. Right.
0: He's got three inhalers. One gives him like strength. One makes him smarter and one enhances his senses. Yeah. And they last for about an hour. And he can't mix them. He can't mix them and he needs needs to come down. After he uses one, he needs like 24 hours to come down. And if he mixes them, he goes psychotic. Right. We don't know any of that when this story starts. This is all revealed in what we're about to go through. Yeah, it's a really fun character. It's a character that's so cool that if this was just a straight story about that character, I'd be into reading that. (laughs) Um.
1: Let's, so um i guess let's go let's go through it
0: yeah uh and all of these issues so far uh start with like a page from a a store a, a book yeah it, as if he's like a character from a novel or from a pulp novel so this is like a page of a, a john shaw adventure
1: yeah which is describing it Describe you know once we finished reading this page we realized oh yeah that is the point in the action we're picking up on
0: Right, it's as if now the comic book is taking over from where this book, this page in the book ends. Right. Um, Uh, We see, we cut to John Shaw uh, barefoot on a train. Right, he's on a train. He's
1: on a train, and it's drawn upside down. So that in the very top panel on the page is his feet. So we see that they're barefoot on the floor. Very diehard. Yeah,
0: (laughs) unlike John McClane, who's just barefoot in one movie against his. Better judgment. This character chooses to be barefoot, refuses to wear shoes. (laughs) Yeah. And it's very fun.
1: Yeah. And he gives a little philosophy for it on the first page. He likes being barefoot because it keeps him like present and he can feel the movement and vibrations in the ground. And he says that it makes sure that every step he takes is deliberate.
0: It's a fun way to take the uh, John McClane characters to be like, uh, because obviously they've done a bunch of movies with John McClane. Uh, and similar movies to that, and the thing they always hone in on when they do a similar movie to Die Hard is like, oh, trapped in a building. Yeah, uh, John McLean's a super cop, but anything that feels like Die Hard is like, oh, they're trapped in a building, right? And like he's taking just like the visual look of a character who is sort of, uh, uh sort of weaponless and sort of just going by his wits, yeah, and like not prepared for this in a way.
1: Yeah. And of course, there's going to be a reveal that there's a larger thing going on in the universe. But just to start with, we're talking about this character. Yes. So page two, we see that John Shaw is sitting in a train car with three other people. And they are basically trying to hire him for some kind of job.
0: Yeah, they seem to be, uh, they seem to know about him he's they there's been a novel about like his first adventure or something
1: right and so it's almost like somebody wrote a fictionalized version of his real life or something like that
0: Mm -hmm. and we kind of flash back to that like he was uh, on a boat and uh something is happening Uh, like
1: uh, i take it i take it back actually there must be a movie called john shaw because the the guy who's talking to john shaw says you don't remember it it was a few years ago now i read the novelization which means there was a movie and then also a novelization of it. So in this universe okay. somebody made a movie about John Shaw. Right, but he yeah. flashes back to whatever the true event was that the movie was based on.
0: Yeah, he's he's like rubbing his head when they're talking about him, just sort of like he doesn't want to deal with this.
1: Yeah. So we cut to the memory of whatever it is that this guy saw read in the novelization and it's John Shaw on a cruise ship. This is very diehard, yeah. when like stuff yeah, He's goes on down. his
0: honeymoon. He's on his honeymoon, but his wife d- broke up with him right before Oh no, it was just a trip that he was going to take with his wife. But she left him, and he still went on the cruise.
1: So, um, and then there's basically a terrorist attack. But the terrorist attack is from an organization called Gold Maze, who were introduced in issue one.
0: Yeah, uh, and they obviously stick around past this issue as well. Um, yeah, the moment John sees this is happening, he jumps into action. This is what he does. He, like, leaps into a pool. There's a great shot of him like taking off his shirt, and he reveals the three inhalers that he yeah. uses. Um, and and that's sort of what I mean by like a Matt Kent book always has like a page like this where it's breaking down those things with like little logos for each inhaler.
1: Yeah, it's like um, it's almost like an instruction manual. Mm-hmm. Um, although it kind of reminds me of a Chris Ware comic, uh, Jimmy Corrigan, the Smartest Kid on Earth. Chris Ware, he does a lot of yeah. sort of like. You know, diagrams and blowing things up. Uh, I don't... Yeah. Uh, obviously, both Chris Ware and this comic are drawing just from a common source. I don't think this is like copying Chris Ware necessarily at yeah. all.
0: Well. I mean, also, like, Kirby would do this stuff, when he would draw, like, a schematic of the Baxter building. Right. It's very comic book. Um. And he, like you see him choosing which one to inhale, right?
1: Yeah, and um, he chooses... I don't know if he
0: says, I think he chooses strength though. Yeah. Okay. Yes, he, does, he, does, he doesn't, he doesn't say punches a guy
1: off, off of the boat. Um, and he's very action hero, right? Before he punches the terrorist, he says man overboard. And then he like wallops right. two of the guys off the boat with one punch.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, he throws like a shuffleboard stick into one guy's head. Uh, it, I mean, it definitely feels very much of that genre despite him having these superpowers of these inhalers that he's like just using the tools at hand to dispatch these terrorists. And
1: he quickly like knocks them all out and, or kills them. Um, and the, in our present moment on the train car, the guy telling the story says he saved the entire cruise ship. But in the flashback, we see that's not true. The initial family that was being threatened, the parents were killed.
0: Right. And, uh, John child even says, not everyone.
1: um, but it seems like he contained what could have been a complete disaster.
0: We learn a little bit also that these inhalers are... He doesn't know who gives them to him. This is very Hundred Bullets, right? It's just like a mysterious
1: government... Like eight, we don't even know who. Some agency just provides him with them.
0: Yeah, he gets a new batch of inhalers periodically. Uh, they only work for him. They're key to his DNA. Um, and... Maybe, and... Yeah, he doesn't know. He just keeps getting them because he's doing good work with them. He's proved worthy of them.
1: So that feels like the kind of thing that will be explained at some point, but it's not
0: explained in this issue. Right. Um, then terrorists come, show up on the train and start killing everyone that he's sitting with. Right. So the three people that he's sitting with are killed. Um, mm-hmm. And then
1: John Shaw goes to work on these terrorists, which be- they are dressed in the same uniforms as the gold Maze people. So we know it's the gold Maze
0: people. I also think one of the guys he's sitting with is drawn to look like Matt Kent. Oh yeah. I could be wrong on that. Which guy? I think the main guy he was talking with the beard might be what Matt Kent looks like. Oh, that's fun. Anyway.
1: Um, that's kind of fun because the first issue made reference to a science fiction author. Oh, well I'll wait. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's going to come up later. Just going to show you what Matt Kent looks like. Right, let me look. I'm looking on our zoom call. Everybody. Oh yeah. I could, yes. I can see that. This guy's got a little Kint-esque appearance. Yeah. Um, So he dispatches, he uses the people that he was sitting with as human shields. They're dead anyway. uh, And he dispatches, he doesn't even use any of his inhalers, just his natural strength. He gets rid of the people on the car.
0: Right. He says to himself, not yet. He wants to Um, save his inhalers until he knows which one he has to use. They only last an hour. He can only use one got to be careful with them and you know he's a seasoned pro at taking his inhaler drug <laughs> um from one of the terrorists that he
1: has killed he picks up like a walkie-talkie so now he is talking to the head of this uh operation bad guy operation
0: yeah uh and this guy's got like a we just see his mouth the first time we see him and it's clearly he's had some sort of burn wound um
1: and he speaks the list like, the dialogue is lisped
0: yeah you see more of his gum than you should and yeah. like his uh face has got some scar marks on it
1: right although we don't get a full look at his face like you said nice and mysterious bad guy stuff going on uh, and they're here to kill him yeah the the bad guy reveals john shaw ish that really you are intel wash correct then amazing
0: and uh, we've planted a dirty bomb on this train and we intend to detonate it in the heart of downtown Los Angeles.
1: Right. So that's our, that's his mission. He's got to stop this train from exploding and blowing up LA.
0: Mm-hmm. We then flash back to him getting the delivery of these inhalers.
1: Uh, yes. And we see that after he did the cruise ship thing, just a mysterious messenger shows up at his uh, apartment door. He lives in an apartment. This guy's not like a wealthy liver. Um... <sighs> And with a note, a briefcase with inhalers and a note, we saw what you accomplished on the cruise ship New Year's Eve. Excellent work, despite the casualties. Keep it up. As long as you fight the good fight, we will keep supplying you.
0: Yep. Um, And we cut back. I think this is a good place to take a break. Oh yeah, that's right. Let's do it. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about
1: comics from Campfire Media.
0: Well, we're back. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Shaw has chosen which inhaler he's going to take. Tactics, the intelligence
1: expanding one. Yeah. So And now he moves to the top of the train to dispose of the bad guys that are out to kill him and to prevent the dirty bomb from uh, going off in downtown Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, like we see in his brain a schematic of the train and of maps as as he's trying to like figure out the best way to save the day.
1: Yeah, there is an accurate subway <laughs> map of Los Angeles. I say that as a resident of Los Angeles. He just is sort Where of able
0: to... Are- Different cities that we live in really pays off. Yeah. One of us can really report on one of the cities we live Twice in. Twice as likely to recognize any subway map that a comic mm-hmm. book refers to.
1: Um, And so we see that he's super intelligent because he's talking out loud as he makes his plan. He's like racing along the top of the train barefoot. And the things he's saying are like, bomb must be in the engine room. They're going to detonate before we get to the city and let the momentum carry to town. With crosswinds, it's going to devastate the entire coast. Got less time than I... So that's like super brain at work.
0: Yep. Uh, he runs into two terrorists who pull guns on him. He's sort of worried that he wishes he had the strength right now.
1: Yeah. Um, but he's able to sort of dodge the bullets by hanging on the side of the train and then reaching up as he's hanging action movie style by the side and pulling one terrorist over his head. uh and throws him down a cliff they are conveniently passing. Which that's very Mission Impossible.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's also very Bruce Willis, right? He's like hanging on the edge of a train, barely, uh, you know. That's true. At this point he doesn't have any strength. He's just hanging there. And he, he gets lucky that this guy leans over close enough for him to grab the gun and pull him down.
1: Every action movie I'm impressed at the shoulder
0: work going on. The pull-ups that these guys must have done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the... The, the arch villain of this who's got like this scarred face we also see his eye is sort of damaged as well he can't open his uh, little, bit, little bit of a two-faced look eye. kind of going yeah I mean something happened to him something blew up in his face clearly uh, he's got a dead man switch if he dies the bomb will go on right
1: he's holding the switch so if he dies and his grip loosens that will set off mm-hmm. the bomb
0: he tells John Chow to remove his belt which is where he holds the inhalers uh-huh
1: so John Shaw agrees. He says, yeah, no problem. He's obviously playing some kind of mind game. You got me, Gold Maze. And uh, the the scarred man is offended. I am not Gold Maze. Gold Maze is an idea. An idea is something you can never kill.
0: Right. Then John Shaw uses his belt, wraps it around this guy's hand, to- uh, shoots him in the head. Yeah. Basically uses the, the belt to sort of hold the dead man's switch closed.
1: Yeah, and then shoots him in the head and then pulls away the detonator and, and keeps it closed with his own grip. Yep. Um, and he's able to save the day. We don't even see the rest of it play out. It's just is, it's a fait accompli that he will now finish the mission and stop the train.
0: Where he says to himself, if memory serves, there's an abandoned depot coming up. Shoot the switch, divert the train, save the day. Hell yeah.
1: There's sort of like, you know, it seems like Matt Kent is both like doing a good action movie story, but also kind of having fun with kind of like hitting its tropes right on the head. Like it's a little bit making fun of it, or at least having fun with it while also being pretty fun.
0: Yeah. It, it doesn't, it's not maliciously making fun of it. It seems to be someone who enjoys those genres.
1: That's the modern age of uh, pop culture. Everything is self-aware to some degree. Characters in action movies know they're in action movies, generally speaking.
0: uh, I mean, we are at this point, what are we, um, 20, 21 pages into this comic. And this is where we get like the title page. Yeah. You know, with the who wrote it and who drew it. Yeah. um, We just see him make his plan, save the day. Hell yeah. He says, we turned the page. There's more story here. We turn the page. The train has been derailed. Yeah. There's emergency vehicles. Uh, John Shaw sort of walking off and gets into a car with a driver. And, um, yeah, somebody just
1: pulls up, says, John Shaw, I'm your ride. And he just accepts the ride. Uh, Yeah, thanks, buddy. It's been a hell of a day. He basically did save the day. He stopped the dirty bomb from going out. He stopped the Los Angeles from being uninhabitable. But everybody in the train died. But uh, Mm -hmm. it seems like there's nothing he could have done to stop that. And so now he's in a car with a mysterious driver.
0: Yeah. Uh, and this driver turns out to be the James Bond archetype, who seems to be sort of a Idris Elba James Bond. Right, right. He seems modeled after him a little bit. In the same way this character, uh, John Chess, sort of modeled after Bruce Willis. It's, uh, they're sort of pointing in that direction without actually drawing those characters. But this is James Bond, sort of a gentleman spy, dressed to the nines. Yep,
1: and he introduces himself. My name is Cord. Thomas Cord. Right. Mm-hmm. Very bond cadence. And um, you know, John Shaw starts to tell him about the adventure he just did, but Thomas Cord says there's no need. I said Thomas Court before, but it's Thomas Cord. Um yeah. no need. There was a book published two years ago that detailed this entire adventure and he's read it. So he he already knew about it.
0: Right, he hands John Shaw a book called One Way Ticket, a John Shaw adventure novel based on true events. And it was written two years ago. Uh, In the previous book, uh, Thomas Cord found out there are Thomas Cord books.
1: Yes. Uh, I have to make the most minor correction of something I said. I earlier made a big deal about saying that there must have been a movie because the guy in the train said he read a novelization. But now I'm seeing here on this John Shaw book, the novelization is just of the true events. There's no movie. They went right from... Well, there might be.
0: Okay, I don't know. I mean, there might be a movie, but yes, uh, uh, it could be a novelization of his life. Right. Um, that isn't the word you would use for that though, right? No, novelization to me usually that?
1: means movie, you know, you've novelized a movie.
0: Um, but yeah, so he, so John Shaw sort of confused by this. Thomas Cord sort of telling him about this. The previous, uh, issue sort of introduces to this Thomas Cord character and the book about him, um. These books are written by a character that seems to be inspired or homaging Philip K. Dick. Yeah. Cause there's a, a stigmata book that this character is written.
1: Yes. Uh, so in the, was that, was that revealed in the first issue? I can't yes, remember. Yes. Yes. The something stigmata of something Verve, Blake Verve, or yeah. whatever his name is. Um, right. So there is a Philip K. Dick style author who is writing these books that seem to correspond to real events in certain universes. Yeah. It's like a multiverse thing going on.
0: Uh and this issue ends also with another page from the John Shaw book.
1: Right. The the book end of it um is the uh is the continuing of the conversation, right?
0: Yes, it's it's following this story. The, 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 the remaining issues don't always continue right off from where the book is. Sometimes they are uh, continuing someone else's story or the book from earlier or something like that. But this is continuing their conversation in the car. It's continued in a page of a book. So One Way Ticket also detailed this conversation, it seems.
1: What we realized after reading the first two issues is that this Philip K. Dick author, his books describe a series of adventure heroes and they sort of exist and are able to work together as a team against gold maze.
0: Yeah. Thomas court seems to be gathering all the characters from these books. The next issue is about a character, uh, that, uh, the closest archetype to her is night rider, but it is, it's way beyond that. She's got like some super high tech car and like an exo suit and all this other stuff. She's really cool. And then the one after that sort of is, uh, uh, sort of, uh, a, a, Hercule Perot, Agatha Christie archetype, okay. super spy, super smart detective, but like an elderly woman. That's Ms. Marple. Uh, Miss Marple. Yeah. Great. Yeah, like that as well. But there's more to her too. Um, yeah. Each one of these characters isn't just one of these archetypes. There's layers to them beyond that. Yeah. That just feels like a starting place for them. Pretty yeah. um, fun. And so maybe issue five is out because I feel like uh, uh, those four have each had solo issues and I've read one where they kind of work together. And, but there's something else going on with this Philip Verve guy. And they don't really know what's going on. Yeah. And it's slowly being. And I don't know how long this series is. I don't know if this is an ongoing. Uh, yeah, a lot of Matt Kent's stuff, not, none of it is super ongoing. Like he often does like 12 issue stories or 30 issue stories or somewhere in that range. Okay. Um, so I'm really curious how long this will be. But so far, it's good. Yeah. What'd you think of it, Will Hines? I loved it.
1: I, uh, I read the first issue first and that, and that one, there's like, you see multiple incarnations of the James Bond,
0: right? His, the, the wrinkle to his character is that James Bond seems to be, or Thomas Cord seems to be, uh, a role that somebody is playing. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, there was a James Bond, uh, uh who dies and then gets recast basically sort of playing with the movie idea, right? That yeah. Sean Connery, Roger Moore. Uh, Daniel Craig could all be James Bonds and I'll believe they're James Bonds and I'll live in those different eras and have the memories of the previous James Bonds, but also that doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah. Cause it makes them too old, right? Mm-hmm. If the Daniel Craig, James Bond can remember Sean Connery in the sixties doing something with Dr. No, how could he still be, you know, 30 years old or whatever?
0: Right. So it's sort of playing the idea that all those James Bonds are real yeah. or at least a couple of them are. Yeah. Um, they don't necessarily show all of them.
1: And we meet the Philip K. Dick style author in the first issue. And that was pretty fun. Yeah. So, yeah, this has been my experience with Matt Kent. And I haven't read as much as Kevin. But there's usually some kind of bigger game afoot.
0: Yeah. As I said, like, I would I would read a story about this John Shaw character as is. Yeah. I think he's fun and he's uh, yeah. cool and it's a pretty fun adventure. Um, you, that is not what this comic is. That is just one character. <laughs> As part of the story. You could
1: theoretically have a story just about a James Bond who realizes, you know, he's a, in a series of people are fulfilling the role.
0: Right. I think all four of these characters would be interesting solo characters. Yeah. Um. But, you yeah, know, that's not what the story is, which is great. I love a book where it's like uh, each one of these. We talked about this when we were doing Sandman. We talked about it a lot with these great comics, like each one of these characters is feels like enough to sustain a hundred stories.
1: Right. They're sort of, they're fully realized pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, in Sandman's case, he leverages a lot of things from mythology. Uh, Matt Kent is leveraging sort of like pulp genre archetypes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: I really recommend anything Matt Kent does almost anything. Uh, I think you can't go wrong if his name is on it. It's worth checking out. I'd say.
1: All right. Well, that's bang two. Um, yeah, really fun. I, I I really liked it. Um, I like, uh, I don't know what the right word is like complicated stories. It's not quite complicated. It's not, it doesn't feel as complicated as like Watchmen does, for example, but I like, I like when there's a little puzzle to kind of work out, you know, a mystery or some sort of thing to be revealed. That's always, I enjoy that.
0: Yeah. There's, there's layers to the, the, the story and a lot of Matt Kent's work. Um, but I think they're fun. Even if you just go like, I'm not going to think about that stuff
1: or like, I trust that it'll be explained. I'll know it when I need to know it.
0: Yeah. Um, some of the stuff, uh, like I said, mind management is such a weird book that even by the end, I'm like, I still don't know if I fully got that book, Yeah, (laughs) but I enjoyed the characters and the moments enough and it sort of made sense overall. Yeah. Uh, But there were so many, like, switches and double flips. I'd be like, I don't don't really know who's who's good anymore. (laughs) Um, It is pretty fun when somebody, like,
1: writes in a genre but does not feel obligated to play by all of the genre's rules and kind of just takes the fun part they think is fun and throws in something else. Some of my favorite comic books, Love and Rockets by Los Bros Hernandez, especially in the early days, they would be pretty cavalier about mixing, like, Superhero stuff, spy adventure stuff, teen drama, angsty, artsy stuff,
0: just, they would just throw it all in a pot and they didn't bother to walk you to hold your hand as that changed. I mean, there's also something fun about teaming as these characters team up, seeing like a James Bond team up with John McClane is a fun idea. Sort of like a league of extraordinary gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, thing where it's like, Oh, it's fun just to see these characters are all in the same world and doing something together. That'd be fun. Like. It would be fun to see Daniel Craig and Bruce I mean I guess that's uh, what's that what's that Sylvester Stallone mov- movie series with the the, like 30 action heroes uh, the expendables yeah. yeah It's a little bit of that but it's like with if you put specific characters in there's something very fun about that Yeah If you had like the Terminator uh, working alongside Rambo <laughs> and John yeah. McClane there's something fun about that that would probably break all those universes Yeah But if it was a good fun story you'd maybe forgive it
1: yeah, so I really enjoyed
0: it. I, I'll, I'll probably read more. Uh, we've got some emails. Will let's do it. Uh, if you want to email us, email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. That's how these people emailed me. Yeah, please email us.
1: Email us what you think about. Well, you can if you read Bang Number Two or Matt Kent uh, or um, Immortal Hulk or Sandman or any comic books. Um, let us know what you think. And if you're just, you just just want to say hi, I don't know, give it give it a shot. Send, drop us a line. We also have an Instagram, Screw It Comics, where Kevin will put uh, screenshots of what we're talking about. And uh, there's also on our Instagram we have Screw It Recent, which are just the comics he tends to be enjoying, kind of like the ones we're reading in this little mini season. And then everything
0: that we're reading here probably showed up in Screw It Recent. Yeah, this is kind of like a year.
1: a Screw It Recent little mini season. And then we also have a screw it Spidey Instagram just to keep it confusing. Yeah. Um, but, and then we have a screw it comics Twitter. So just to go over that again, screw it Spidey is our Gmail screw it. Comics is our main Instagram and our Twitter. And then for our super hardcore fans, we got screw it Spidey and screw it recent also on Instagram.
0: Yeah. If you're not getting enough comic panels in your Instagram feed, follow all of them.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, first email is from, uh, Patrick McMullen. Hi, Kevin and Will. I just wanted to say how much I love your podcast. I'm a big fan of Will's characters on comedy. Bang, bang. Oh, thank you. And discovered the screw it Spidey podcast as a result of his appearances. Uh, I've been reading the original Spidey run, run along with your early eps, and it's an absolute blast. Oh, glad so to hear. Patrick won't be hearing this for a long time. Maybe he'll never hear this. Yeah, he's waiting. He might not make it through the FF season. Yeah.
1: That FF season is a real uh, must filter some people out or just test yeah. their ability to skip episodes.
0: Yeah. Uh, he, I just finished the Master Planner saga, which is awesome stuff. There's so much to love about Steve and Stan's run. But one of my favorite things is how Stan was pretty much breaking the fourth wall as the narrator. Uh, Burn Sensational, She-Hulk, and Deadpool get a lot of credit for this, but Stan was basically doing it from the beginning of the Marvel Age. As you both have pointed out, it's so hilarious and great that Stan is telling the reader, sorry you had to sit through all that non-spidey talky stuff, but the good stuff's coming. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, I also like the idea that Stan, the narrator, is essentially another character in the comic. That's true. He basically is. I can more Uh, easily
1: do an impersonation of Stan Lee than I can of Peter Parker.
0: Yeah. I mean, that definitely is part of what made Marvel Comics hit so big, I think, at the beginning, or made people read more than just the one title they discovered, right? Mm -hmm. The vibe of the comics. It felt like... Marvel Comics was telling you this story. Yeah. Marvel Comics was Stanley.
1: Step into my living room, true believers, and I'll weave you a tale
0: so filled with action, your face will be filled with punches yourself. Starring your favorite hero, Ant-Man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ant-Man surrounded by ants, but that's good because he talks <laughs> to them. <laughs> I picture him just writing the. The caption as he's reading the comic himself, like, you know, not not looking ahead. Oh I mean, no! <laughs> a bad guy. What will Ant Man do? Oh wait. He it was a good guy in disguise. Never mind.
0: I'm, I'm sure there's a little bit of that. He probably goes back and looks at it a little bit a second time, but I bet the first time I bet that's where captions like, sorry it took so long to get to Spider Man, because he's realizing when he gets to a page of Spider is like, he hasn't been in costume in a while. <laughs> yeah. I better let the readers know, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, super fun. Best uh, character anyway.
0: in all fiction. Stanley. He goes, thanks for, thanks for the great podcast as uh, how he ends that email. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, we have an email from tree Palmetto. Hello, tree stray thoughts on Sandman. Marvel six, one, six. His email begins. Hey, kindly ones. Ooh. What a uh, new yeah, glorious it's nice not to be a. Yeah. It's, it's nice not to be a
1: milksop for a change. Calling us the fates who murdered Sandman. You
0: know, I like being powerful. I'll take it. If I got to kill Sandman to have a heck of a job, I'll do it. (laughs) Now that I finished listening to your Sandman coverage, I wanted to offer my thoughts as someone who's never gotten into Sandman before. I liked it, but my feelings after finishing it are less, wow, that was amazing then, wow, that was really cool, but also a lot to take in. Okay. However, I feel motivated to reread because for better or for worse, I kept feeling like I was missing something on the first go around. It was hard to tell whether characters were ones I had seen before, people with significance in other comics or literature, or wholly original. I can imagine that reading along as it was coming out might have been more rewarding. If I was simply taking this comic in as a month-to-month serial rather than a single 75-issue story, I probably would have been more able to experience it like a dream, taking in each story as it came. Hmm. Anyway, thanks for fun recaps of an extremely hard-to-summarize series. Uh, He's got more to say after that, but do you have any comments on that part, Will? Well, thank you
1: so much for just giving it a shot and trying to read it. That's really generous of you. I I and I and don't mind hearing when people don't like the stuff that we like, especially if you can help explain why it's really interesting to me. So I, I don't mind that. And, um, you know, that is, I, I've read it month to month, and I often wouldn't know, is this an existing DC character that I hadn't heard of? Is this a mythological character that I hadn't heard of? Or is Neil making something up or some hybrid of the two? I, I didn't know until this time reading The Kindly Ones that Lyda Hall was an existing character in the DC universe who had superpowers. I knew she was an existing character. I didn't realize she had powers. And she even uses them a couple times in the Sandman comic, but I just didn't pick up on it.
0: Yeah, I also think a lot of comic books you can read pretty fast. Uh, so, if like, you know, you're if you're going from, like, a Roger Stern Spider-Man or peter david hulk and then going to sandman sometimes you you forget to slow down a little bit yeah uh, there's certain comics that just like it's not like you need to read you need to pour over them but you just you need to like pace yourself a little bit and let each panel and line sink in just a tiny bit more and i'll do that sometimes when i used to have like stacks of comics uh there'd be like the comics i knew that i needed to really read yeah i would either read first or set aside for another day, because like as I was reading through a stack, I'd be like, "Well, I can't go from Thor and Captain America and the Flash to Lucifer. Right. I, I just I can't. My brain won't make the switch." Yeah, your internal clock had been set too fast. So it's yeah, it's it's how and a lot of times those books that I really like to sit on, I only got as trades, uh, which is mostly how I get almost everything. I get everything now digitally or in trades. Uh, and for a while I only got trades, but there was a period where I would get comics in issue forms and then things like Lucifer, I only got in trades because I was, it would force me to sit with that book. Yeah. Uh, where uh, the comic books month to month, I would just like burn through them a little bit and read them over and over again. Cause it didn't take any time. It, like, I could read an issue of Nightwing in like a minute and a half. <laughs> so I could like reread that whole run in like an hour. Yeah. Uh, but like hundred bullets would be like, well, I need to set aside time to read this.
1: Yeah. I think the thing Tree is saying, though, is something I hear that's a very common complaint about a comic book that somebody didn't either didn't like or didn't totally like is I felt left out. I felt like I didn't know what was going on. I felt like I have to start at issue one or I wouldn't understand it. And I didn't want to do that. You know what I mean? I felt overwhelmed by all these things I didn't know. Like that's
0: a really common complaint. It is. I think it is a modern complaint more than a past complaint. I really do think that's like the ability to have access to everything, that everything is reprinted, that everything is on Netflix, that like whatever medium you want can be gotten so easily that it's, you're just used to being able to start at episode one. And some books are written. I think Neil Gaiman wrote this book. Like there, it. Sandman reads like there were a thousand issues of Sandman before that one. Right. And it's coming back from a hiatus because he had been trapped for whatever, 60 years. Yeah. And now he's, we're going to start doing more Sandman comics, which is not true. Uh, but it does feel like you're not getting the whole story. There are lots of untold tales of Morpheus.
1: I mean, there is the annotated Sandman that got published, which is like a guy just meticulously wrote footnotes for every issue of Sandman, basically telling you which characters were references to what. Um, and I, they they were online initially, so I would read the annotated Sandman stuff online at some point, like in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, so that, that book in particular is pretty rife with the feeling of,
0: I should know what this is. No, I get that. But I, but I think you're supposed to have that feeling. Yeah. I think you're supposed to read it and go, Oh, there's a lot. I don't know. I mean, it, you have to hope that the author and artist are telling you
1: what you need to know for that issue. Um, if they're doing their yeah. job, at least, you
0: know, that that's what should happen. Um, yeah, it's they're telling you a story, but they're also like tantalizing saying like, oh, there's all these other things. Uh, thinking about the issue that we read with um, uh, uh, Hobbes when he runs into Johanna Constantine, Constantine yeah. And then we hear in the next, the next page, like, it's like, oh yeah, I I ran into her again and dealt with her. But like that story hadn't been told yet at that point. Right. It might, even if it had never been told, like that works for me in a way of just being like, oh yeah, he still had adventures in the hundred years since the last time. And those would come up in their conversation. And of course, I don't necessarily
1: need to see them. Johanna Constantine herself is a reference to John Constantine. Right. She is an ancestor of this character that you could already know, John Constantine. Although when I initially read the Hobb issue, I do not think I knew of John Constantine. He does appear in an earlier Sandman issue, but I hadn't read that one yet.
0: Yeah. And I probably hadn't, we hadn't read Sand, uh Swamp Thing at that point, And I definitely hadn't read Hellblazer at that point. Right. So that is just kind of part of the,
1: part of the meal when you're reading a Sandman issue yeah. is like not totally knowing what's, where
0: is this person from? Uh, but I always think about like when we started reading Spider-Man comics uh, from the comic book shop. Yes. And I just always think about like by the, by the time we were buying or the time I was buying and reading issues, he was in an alien black costume back from the uh, the Civil War, not speaking to Aunt May. They weren't talking. He was living in an apartment in the city alone. Uh, sort of had a romance going with the black cat, a character I'd never heard of. They're trying to figure out the identity of the hobgoblins, somebody we had never heard of. Yeah. There's no green goblin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it just sort of like, but I don't remember being like, oh, well I can't follow this. I remember being like, this is great. Uh, I can't wait to learn more about all these things because that, I think that was the only way to read a comic book. Then if you weren't willing to sort of let go of that stuff, uh, you couldn't read it cause there were no reprints.
1: Yeah. Guess what we're saying is, uh, don't be crybabies, kids. When we were when we were kids, we had to tough it out, so you can tough it out too.
0: I'm sure I brought it up on this podcast before, but when I started watching The Wire, one of the more complicated shows to ever exist, I started on season three, <laughs> and I followed it. Yeah, like I definitely knew like there's stuff I'm missing from previous seasons, but and I don't think you could start in the middle of a Wire season, but I do think you could watch any of those seasons of The Wire from from. If you watch just the season, if you just watch just season four, it makes sense. Yeah. Because when you watch episode one of season one, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. It drops you in the deep end. And it's like episode three of the first season where before you're like, Oh, I sort of get what the seasons go, who these characters are. When I watched season one, I already knew the characters because I'd watched season three. Yeah. But a lot of complaints about people who tried the wire were like, oh, it doesn't, you have to kind of watch three episodes before it really starts sinking in. Uh, I watched Deadwood starting with season two.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: That's just like when I had HBO and I was like, I don't own the DVD sets. There isn't streaming. I don't want to wait for reruns of the show, which HBO would do. They would do like marathons and stuff. I was like, I'd rather just watch this season of a show everyone loves. And they held up. They held up really good. And then I would just kind of go back and watch the prequel seasons in my mind.
1: Yeah. So tree, we don't agree with anything you're saying. Well, I don't.
0: Everyone else in the world does is the <laughs> problem.
1: <laughs> no, thank you so much for trying it out and sharing your opinion with us, tree.
0: Um, I also think Salmon is the book that rewards you by rereading it multiple times. For sure. It's like Watchmen that way. It's like every time you read it, you'll get something else from it. Yeah. Uh, he goes on. Uh, he has a second paragraph. I also want to know if either of you have checked out the new Marvel's 616 show on Disney Plus. Will I have not. I've, I've seen it in my
1: little menu of shows and I haven't watched it.
0: Okay. It's a kind of randomly organized documentary series about various aspects of Marvel. I really enjoyed the episode about women at Marvel directed by Jillian Jacobs, especially the conversations between the power pack creative team and Ann Nocetti. Oh, I got to see that. Uh, but the episode that seems to have Twitter buzzing is all about Dan Slott's inability to meet deadlines or write his own dialogue. It's exaggerated for laughs, and obviously, Slot has written some great comics, but it seems to be genuinely upsetting people that this aging white dude can take so long to write one issue when collaborators are depending on him, because Slot is one of the last writers who uses a version of the Marvel method. The episode also defines, definitely illustrates how the method puts undue toll on the artists, but of course, they don't really talk about how this played out poorly in Stan Lee's treatment of his collaborators. Worth a watch. Well, I'm intrigued. I've heard about this Dan Slot episode. I haven't seen it, but it feels like it is just a televised version of those Stanley. How uh, an issue of Spider-Man is made? Okay. Where like Stanley is sort of like calling up Steve Ditko in the middle of the night and being like, "I changed my mind. Make an electro on top of the uh, Brooklyn Bridge." You're right. And then Ditko's like, "Oh, now I got to look up references on that." Right. Because uh, Kurt Busiek did that for Untold Tales. He did his version of that. He's like, I'm going to bring back this character from an old Hawkeye story. <laughs> and then they'd show the artist being like, well, I got to find that old comic now. Yeah. Uh, and there's, I think people like to exaggerate those things because I think it's just being like the writer's job is easier than the artist, which is true. Yeah. And I think Dan Slott is a guy who has trouble with deadlines. But I haven't seen the episode, but he wouldn't work at Marvel if he was an awful person to all the artists. Yeah. He did like...
1: 10,000 issues of Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't want to see it though. That's the, that, I mean, I didn't know that it was a documentary. Um, I'm curious yeah. to watch it. I mean, it.
0: I haven't, I didn't watch it initially cause it just feels like it's a documentary by Disney about a Disney owned company. They can um, still be
1: kind of good though. Even like the corporate, it's like reading an yeah. authorized biography of a band you love. It's not going to be as good as someone who dug into the dirt, but it could still be fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'll probably watch it at some point. There's the one about the, uh, the women creators sounds really good, for sure.
1: We're a big Power Pack fans. I'd love to see
0: that. Yeah. Um, By the way, uh, going off on a Power Pack tangent, I've been listening to <laughs> a few episodes of a podcast called Unpacking the Power Pack. Okay. Because um, they interviewed uh, June Brigman and Louise Simonson and John Bogdagniv, uh, uh, the second artist who sort of drew them. Okay. Um, and the interviews are great. Those, first of all, those creators all seem like wonderful people. Yeah. Also, they get great interviews. I don't know how people do that. Yeah. How do we get, we want interviews. Um, John Bogdagnivin. I can't pronounce his name. Maybe that's I'm why we don't get it. these Maybe people. That's why We don't get them. Yeah. yeah. We call them uh, up and we
1: murder their names.
0: His story about getting hired to r- draw a power pack is a great story. Can I tell you a short version of it on our podcast? Yes, please. He, uh, basically his wife called up Walt Simonson by looking him up in the phone book and asked Walt Simonson to give her husband advice. <laughs> Walt did this, okay, very nicely, gave him advice, told him to draw like three pages of a DC character and three pages of a Marvel character and then take them to DC and Marvel both stories to both uh, publishers and just ask editors to meet with you because back in the day you could kind of do that, I guess. And so he made appointment. he did he drew these things. Uh, he drew a Superman story and he drew a Conan story. and then he took he got a meeting with DC, but he waited at DC for like two hours, never got in. Okay, left his portfolio there, uh, and then went to Marvel for his meeting with Marvel. Uh, immediately got brought in to see. I think it was uh, maybe it was Larry Hama. Okay, I forget who he met met with, but the guy read the read, flipped through the pages, and he was like, "Once you walk into Marvel, like this is Marvel in the '80s, uh, '80s, yeah, the early '80s." He was like, "It was fun. It was like had a fun energy. People like running around and stuff." He goes right in to see the editor. The editor flips through the pages and goes, well, I'm not going to fire John Puskema from Conan, <laughs> but I'm also not letting you leave here without a job. Oh, wow. Which is a really cool thing to say. So he's, he's got these like great stories with Walt. He's got this great moment at Marvel. He gets brought into Carl Potts' office, but Carl Potts is in the middle of a meeting with Louise Simonson because June Brigman is leaving Power Pack. Okay. And they're like, we can't get anyone to draw this comic. No one draws kids good. Okay as Louis simonson Simonson's complaint Louis Simonson, wife of Walt Simonson right uh, and uh, while they're flipping through this while they're doing this Carl plot sort of absent-mindedly flipping through this portfolio and Louis Simonson sees like a sketch of kids that John had just left in there not part of the two three issue th- three page things, but just like a sketch of some kids playing on the beach he had done. She's like, those kids are good. Let this guy draw power pack. He's like, okay that's how he got the job. Amazing. And then he's like, even before I left, like they got to know me a little bit, found out my wife was pregnant and paid me a higher than uh, entry rate. Wow. Like Louis Simmons is like, you can't pay him the entry rate. He's got a pregnant wife. Give him a little bit more. Wow. And I was like, what a cool story. And now he's still friends with Louis has been Walt Simonson and he still seems in awe of them for being his friends. And this guy now has been in the industry forever and drew, he drew like part of the death of Superman. And this guy's a legit comic legend at this point but it was like such a cool
1: story so we're plugging another podcast here this is uh unpacking the power pack yeah let's uh, i want to check it out
0: Uh, the inner i've
1: only listened to the ones where they've interviewed people we want to interview cool people if you're someone walt simonson if you're listening to our podcast send us an email we'd like to interview you about thor or whatever fantastic four or whatever you want to talk about yeah just you know your beard? <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about your beard? We'll bring you. We'll get all the beards. Get John Byrne in here. Everyone's got a beard. Let's come on and uh, we'll we'll talk about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, our next email is from Dave Ball, a right. uh, longtime listener, first time emailer, inner. Oh, he calls, he says hi there, Milk Sops. Nice. Uh, first off, love the podcast. I first became aware of Will from his appearance on Comedy Bang Bang. Your episode talking about your initiation orientation at Johns Hopkins is still one of the funniest things I've ever heard.
1: Oh, thank you. Larry
0: Chamberlain. Uh, uh, I was delighted to see that you were also <laughs> a fan <laughs> of comics. episode that I
1: had no idea was going to happen.
0: Wait, what is this?
1: This is a thing on Comedy Bang Bang where I was going to do a physical therapist, and my yeah. idea was, I mean, it wasn't a great idea, but I was like, okay, I'll do a physical therapist, and he's given out free hugs, and it's gotten him into trouble. That's what I thought it was going to be. I was like, okay, thank And I, you know, There's always a lot of improv and stuff, so I was like, that's enough of an idea. So I sit down there, and Gabris. John Gabrus, who Kevin was on an improv team yes. with for years and is friends with. And Ben Rogers was on this episode too, another friend of ours. Wait, is that right? Am I conflating? I think that's right. Anyway, Gabrus was definitely there. And um, because I was a physical therapist and before I got to my joke, I think somebody was just like, oh, where'd you go to medical school? And I was like, Johns Hopkins, which I just picked a school, right? Uh, and then I said, um, oh no, I said I went to Southern Connecticut State University Medical <laughs> School. after I went to Johns Hopkins because Johns Hopkins was, I didn't do well and I wanted to do better. I don't remember. I was just making up some silly shit, right? Yeah. And they're like, what was hard about Johns Hopkins? I was like, oh, right away I knew it was bad. On the day one, the initiation uh, got me good. And I meant to say orientation, (laughs) but I said initiation. And Gabrus like seized on that. He's like, (laughs) initiation? What was this, some kind of ritual? And I was like, yes. And then I just improvised a satanic Ritual that like Johns Hopkins supposedly never got to my thing. Not even (laughs) close. Never got to anything about whatever. And I I, like Gaberson, Ackerman, And I think it was Ben, um, just kept asking me questions about little tangents. I had to just keep elaborating this lie. It was like difficult. I couldn't like (laughs) keep track of like what was happening. I mean, it was super fun. I couldn't believe I got to do it.
0: The, um, that podcast and Gabrus himself are just, they don't let you get away with any mistake.
1: No. I mean, that's the whole fun of Bang Bang. Yeah. And Gabrus is like, as you know, firsthand, you know, one of the fastest thinkers I've ever yeah. met. Like, he looks like a <laughs> big dumb meathead idiot. And then yeah. he's like one of the smartest and like fastest thinkers you will ever meet. And he processes stuff so quickly. It, it like terrifies. His
0: brain is like as strong as his body but he's also insane. He makes like six mistakes and calls himself out on all six of the mistakes before, before it, you've even, before you even thing. know. Right. Yeah. I used to perform with him and I would get credit for his smart moves. Sometimes And I think it was just cause people couldn't believe he made those smart moves. Even he would give me credit. He'd be like, Oh, that was a really funny move. And I'd be like, you did that. <laughs> <laughs> I just like went along with it. Well, that I was like, not was, I don't, it was, but that's Gabrus, man. He's great. Yeah. Well, that was a terrific improv team. Um, Anyway, uh, Dave goes on. I was delighted to see that you were also a fan of comics along with Kevin and started listening around the beginning of the Fantastic Four season. Uh-oh. Wow. And have kept up ever since. Amazing. True fan. That's a true um, believer. Then he, oh, he goes, do you plan on having more guests? We're just talking about this, Dave. We'd love to have some guests. Yeah. We would we love to have guests. And um,
1: we do have a lot of friends who like comics. And that, that is an option. We might do that. But what we really like is... You know, industry people, somebody, somebody with, who's really, who's been a part of it.
0: Yeah. Well, he's suggesting get us getting some comic book artists, writers, or editors.
1: Okay. That's a, <laughs> I mean, that, that is a good pool to draw from.
0: Yeah. Uh, he says also we could have Paul Sheer or Jason Manzukis, And of course those guys are uh, hilarious. I mean
1: they've made, I mean, Paul Sheer's made comics. So Paul would be, we do know Paul, like that's possible. Ben um, I don't think has made
0: comics, right? I don't think he has. I don't know if he has. I don't think so. Paul Shear definitely has written a handful, or yeah. at least co-written. Yeah. I'm also friends um, with Elliot
1: Kalen, who's written some comics. And Ackerman, yeah. of course, but we've, we've had Ackerman, but um, has written comics.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, we know some people. Uh, I think even, um, we know a few other people, too. I'm just, I'm just blanking on who they are right now. We, I know a bunch of people that have written like short like eight page stories here and there and stuff like that. Um, maybe we'd like to,
1: yeah,
0: we'd like to have guests. We're also just bad about Planners. reaching out to people. Yeah.
1: Kevin, and I are already on different coasts. So for someone to do it, they sort of have to do it at weird times. And yeah. Um, but yeah, the zoom has taught everyone how to do things remotely. So weirdly
0: it's more possible now than it used to be. Uh, Dave also gives us his comedian casting for Justice League International. You want to hear it? Yes, I do. Blue Beetle, played by Thomas Middleditch. Okay, sure. Booster Gold by Ben Schwartz. Uh-huh.
1: Might Batman sw- by I might Mark. switch those weirdly, but yes, I can see that. I think I would too.
0: Yeah, But I can see it. Ben Schwartz sort of has a smarm to him yeah, that I can would see work it. good for Booster Gold. Yeah. Uh, Batman Mark Evan Jackson. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Guy Gardner, Andrew Santino.
1: Gosh, I don't think I know who Andrew Santino is.
0: I don't know who that is
1: either. Uh, uh, Mister
0: Miracle would be Matt Gourley. Sure, yeah, I can see that. Oberon, Bobby Lee. Right, that's I interesting. Don't, I don't know who Bobby Lee is either. I'll have to look. It's a up Mad
1: that. TV guy. Um, okay, yeah, he's very funny.
0: Um, Martian
1: Manhunter, Carl Tart. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'd be
0: that's super funny. That's a uh, black canary, Nikki Glaser. Um, yeah, that's really funny. Good fit. Uh, Dr. Fate, Duncan Trussell. I don't know. Duncan.
1: Um, that is a real philosopher, right? I think Duncan, philo- I think Duncan Trussell is, uh, um, like a guy who talks about like new age stuff. I think he kind of, kind of like is Dr. Fate.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. American actor, oh, wait, no, actor and stand-up comic. Nope. I'm totally wrong. Never mind. Um, that'd be great if he <laughs> gives a list of comedians and one philosopher, though. Uh, and Dr. Light, Aquafina. Um, and, sure. Terrific. I'd give Aquafina any part. She could be all of the parts. She's so funny. Um, mm. Anyway, thanks for your time in the podcast. Can't wait for the new season and new story. Peace out, Milk Sops. Thank you. Why did I think uh, Duncan Trussell was it, a real new age
1: guy? I'm a total idiot.
0: Okay. Um, one more email from Benjamin... From Ben Asuarto. Okay. Um, great. Uh, loved the Sandman season. Kevin, I'm so glad you indulged Will in this. Yes. Uh, I came to Neil Gaiman very late in life just a few years ago through his wife, Amanda Palmer, who was one of my favorite artists. Mm-hmm. They did a tour together, and on the album, Neil read some of his works. I was very impressed and started noticing him more and more. I happened to have been watching Doctor Who for the first time. I noticed his name on a few episodes, and then I heard about his Marvel work. I know you don't like 1602. That's me. Kevin Hines doesn't like 1602. I don't think Will has read it. True. Um, But I thought it was a really beautiful tribute to the Marvel Universe. The Fantastic Four and X-Men stories in particular were great distillations of why they're such favorite heroes. Uh, Side note, I always thought that the reveal in the comic that the FF had been imprisoned by Doom the whole time would be a cool way to introduce them to the MCU. And I'm realizing, even as he's saying this, I don't remember anything about 1602. (laughs) Um, I remember just not digging it and it just didn't sink in and everyone went back to read it again. So, um, I don't know anything he's talking about here, so he might be right. It might be great. Uh, I don't know if you know the backstory, but nine 11 happened right after he agreed to write it. And so writing a story with guns and explosions felt wrong to him, which is how he chose the medieval setting. Okay. And that's cool. Yeah. Uh, anyway, in my Neil Gaiman book tour, I eventually got to Sandman and it blew me away. I have no idea. If he had it in mind when he started or if he just picked up from pieces of each story as he wrote them. But the overarching narrative of Sandman bringing, bringing about his own death is so beautifully done. Just landing that is enough to recommend the series to others. But I think what jumped out to me most were the side stories. Neil said in his interviews that he was worried about coming up with stories every week or month or whatever the schedule was. So he came up with a character in a universe that would allow him to tell any story he wanted. I get why you focused on the stories you did for the podcast, but I was wondering if you had any thoughts on some of these one-offs that you jumped over. The ones I think about the most are the ones with the cats because it's just so fun and delightfully twisted at the end. Yeah. The story about why Augustus decided to stop the expansion of a Roman Empire. Right. Talk about addressing difficult topics head-on, but also casually. And the story about preserving Baghdad as a dream. Contrasting it against the backdrop of the destruction of the first Gulf War uh, when he was writing that made it especially poignant and moving are there any particular side stories that have stuck with you
1: well you know we did the ones that stuck with me um but i the ones he's chosen i heavily considered all of those you mentioned doing, the cat one is one you the, considered. the cat one it was like i feel like that is a particularly famous sandman issue so it almost felt like responsible to do that one because it's like a a hit uh but i was kind of indulgent on that one i was like well then i you know, I didn't want to do two from one arc, so I picked the one that was more impactful to me emotionally. Mm-hmm. But the cat one, which is basically like cats once ruled the world, but all the humans got together and dreamed that they ruled. And when all the humans dreamed it successfully, they t- the reality shifted and reality changed so that humans have always been in charge. And so cats are always trying to fall asleep at the same time to have a dream to reclaim reality, which is why cats sleep so much. That's the basically it. But there's sort of a Neil Gaiman like where this little cat goes on a journey to talk to some guru cat and get help and stuff. And it is uh, it is great. It's a ter- it's an amazing story. Uh, what did you think of this Augustus one? The Augustus one is basically like Augustus spends a day as a beggar uh, and he and there's like this street performer who helps him with his makeup and they hang out during the day. And Augustus does it to get perspective Um, and they talk all day and Augustus shares his like feelings about Rome and um, basically reveals that Julius Caesar raped him when he was a boy uh, and that he thinks that the conquering spirit like allows evil to happen and that Rome should be contained and even ended. And he agrees to stop expanding Rome partly to seal its fate. Hmm. But the child rape scene, <laughs> I felt, was maybe beyond our abilities as podcast hosts to, like, sort of navigate. Um, uh, I was worried that we would bobble it. Um, it seemed kind of harsh. and um,
0: Yeah, we covered it, an issue with rape as it was. Maybe one rape per maybe one uh, rape season. Per,
1: yeah, but um, it was a really, like, powerful story and just an interesting conversation that Augustus has with the street performer. Mm-hmm. Um And the other one back, you know what? I should have done the Baghdad one. This one I'm going to totally agree because that is the art is insanely beautiful. And it's basically like Baghdad at its peak in its past, at this glorious peak, one of the kings makes a deal with, I think, Sandman to save it forever as a dream in a bottle. So that even in its future, when its past is gone, it'll be accessible in dreams or something like that. He does some sort of bargain with Sandman shortens the time that it is at its peak or something like that in exchange for living forever in a dream or something like
0: that. I I think I remember that one pretty well. Uh, it's a beautiful one. one. Really great.
1: Um, and there's lots of little side stories and digressions in it. Uh, I I think it was an annual or maybe issue 50. It was like an extra size story.
0: And that's how I remember it. I almost remember it as like a one shot, but I don't think that's true, but that's how I remember it. It was a special
1: issue. And, um, uh, what's the name of the gentleman writing this, this letter?
0: Uh, Ben, Ben, ben is, Swarto.
1: I think Ben is right. Um, we should have done the Baghdad issue. That's a good call. But
0: some of it was you, you give yourself a constraint of, we did one issue per arc. Mostly, uh, we did one extra one for our guest cause we let him pick. There's also um, just like,
1: I love so many Sandman stories. I could have done them all like every single yeah. issue. I do really adore, um, every single one shot issue. And there's more than there's the Johanna Constantine issue. There's the werewolf issue. Uh, there's a lot, but, um, I I sort of was like, I'd rather err on the less rather than more and kind of wet the listeners appetite. And we did enough that I think we Mm -hmm. either, we either intrigued the listeners or we're never going to, I guess.
0: Yeah. We don't want to do another fantastic four season where, uh, people just give up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We overwhelm everybody. So, but I probably should have, Probably should have squeezed bagged, uh, Baghdad in there.
0: Well, Ben has one more question playing right into your heart. Will okay. Are you ready for it? I am. Also, you've been talking about Love and Rockets from the very beginning of the podcast, but I don't know anything about it. Can you give me the elevator pitch?
1: Yeah. Um, it's it's two, uh, two two the Love and Rockets is created by two Mexican American brothers, and they each have their own universes that basically do not overlap. So it's two comics in one. And one comic is Jay, is Jaime Hernandez, which is like punk rock L.A. teens um, and their kind of soap opera life. And it's a lot of issues of sexuality and love and identity and class and a uh, heavy dose of magic realism thrown in there, too. And the art is some of the best art. I've ever seen in a comic book like Jaime Hernandez's drawing style is my personal favorite. And then his brother, Gilbert Hernandez does a true full on magic realism, fictional central American village called Palomar, which contains like lots of folk tales and mythical things happening. Um, And each and you just meet all these characters in the village and all of their backstories. It's, it's more character based and it's kind of plotless, which I think hurt its popularity Cause it kind of rambles and it's, it is challenging to read, uh, but it is a collection of great moments more than great page turning stories. But uh, they also have done it since 1981 and all these characters have aged and it's, I think it's pretty rad, not an elevator pitch, but tra- trapped you outside the front
0: of the elevator pitch. Yeah, Somebody got out of the elevator right away. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, that's all the emails we got. Will Hines.
1: Uh, all right. Well, thanks
0: so much for writing, everybody. We're
1: screwed spidey at Gmail if you want to email more.
0: Um, and we'll be back next week, as we said, with uh, Black Hammer issue two. And then we'll be taking a few weeks off for the holidays. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Screw
1: it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics.
0: What's going on? Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics listeners. Screw it. Are you ready for a promo? Let's do yo. Let's get
1: fit. Hi, I'm Nick, and I'm Muriel, and we're the hosts of Hella in, in your, your 30s, a podcast about a cool couple
0: trying to do adult stuff. So each week we invite you to join us as we try to learn things we should probably already know, like how does a stock market work? Can we install that bidet? Why are all of our house plants dying?
1: This is a podcast for people of all ages because remember, age
0: ain't nothing but a number.
1: But being Hella in Your 30s is a state of mind.
0: So tomorrow's a new day. Let's order pizza.
1: Campfire.